0: If you would like to borrow a Bible to follow along in our passage this morning, just raise your hand high, and the ushers will bring you a Bible. You can just lay it on the pew when you're done. I'd like to welcome you to the new year. You made it. You're in 2012. Praise God. And and some of you are new here to our church. Some of you have been attending for a while. Let me encourage you, as part of this new year and jumping in, To the church and serving with the Lord, I want to encourage you to get into an ethos community that's basically like a a small group in our church. They're called ethos communities. We're we're living out a certain ethos in in our lives uh, surrounded by Jesus Christ. And we just want to encourage you to get into a group where you can be encouraged by others and and built up in the love of Jesus and people can encourage you and build up. So you want to know what should we do when you jump into this church? Get in an ethos community. They're in your bulletins. You can find one. They're, they're all over the place, but get into an ethos community would be my big uh, exhortation and encouragement to you this morning. Next thing I want to tell you before we jump into our text is we are about to have a baptism after the service. We don't have any water here. The lake is too cold, so we're going to go over to a, 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 a church that's a friend of ours, Evanston Baptist Church. We'll be having a baptism there. We have a new sister in Christ. She's going to give her testimony. We're going to baptize her. I'll just encourage you to come. Like Go get some lunch. Then come, we'll see you there at 1 o'clock. It's going to be a great testimony. It's just just over here. You can find it. It's, in, it's not in the bulletin. Is it in the bulletin? Maybe it's in the bulletin, the address. Anyway, it's in the bulletin. So I encourage you, come on over there. It's going to be awesome uh, baptism. All right, what we do here at the church is we go through books of the Bible. So you don't think I'm picking on anybody. Whatever comes up, we preach it. Whatever's next in the text, that's what we're talking about. I don't like ponder during the week, what do I want to talk about, What do I feel like I want to talk about? No. What we talk about is what we talk about what's next. So you don't feel like I'm picking on you. So we're in the book of Matthew, and randomly we're starting out the new year in Matthew 23. Can you turn to the 23rd chapter of Matthew? Matthew 23 is where we're at. That's the chapter we're in. And today we're going to cover verses 1 through 12. Now, for some of you who have not been along with us uh, in Matthew, you kind of want to know what in the world is going on. You're jumping into the 23rd chapter. Uh, what we've been seeing is Jesus has been warning the, rel- the religious leaders over and over again about their hypocrisy, about the way they've been leading, and he's been going off on them. Well, he's kind of done with them for a while, and now he's going to start to warn the common people about the religious leaders. Because the religious leaders did a lot of this. They did a lot of preaching. They preached in the synagogues throughout Israel, and they they had some authority, and they influenced the common people. So Jesus is going to warn the common people against their pastors, in a sense. He's going to warn the disciples against these religious leaders on how not to be like them, that they are to be different. They are to to watch out for these leaders. So that's the context. Let's stand up and read uh, Matthew 23, 1 through 12. starting in verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers, and call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors. For you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You may be seated. I want to start off the new year from this text and talking to you about developing healthy patterns of leadership. Most of you in here are leaders in some sense, whether you are leading perhaps your family, maybe your spouse, or you're leading your children, or you're leading on campus, or you are leading maybe at work, or you're doing a one-on-one discipleship. Most of you in here have some type of of ability and authority where you are leading in some capacity. And as you lead, you have certain types of patterns that you have been exhibiting in your leadership. Some are good. Some of them are not so good. And what we're going to talk about this morning is, what does it look like to develop healthy patterns of leadership? And as you'll notice, if you start talking about these things, we're not just talking about spiritual leadership, we're also talking about your own personal life, your own walk with the Lord. Because I don't really think there's a way that you can separate your own personal patterns from your patterns in leadership. They're, they're kind of merged, and if they're not merged, they're going to come out. It's going to become obvious that the person you, who you are in leading people over a consistent amount of time is what you're doing in private. That's going to come out in your leadership. And this is a great place to look because Jesus warns the common people, warns his disciples not to be like these leaders who have devel- developed some patterns that are, that are just wicked. And they're patterns that are going to lead them straight to hell and lead their followers straight to hell as well. But what Jesus wants his followers and the patterns he wants his leaders to develop is one of being a servant, of putting others first, of becoming the least And when they become the least, they become the greatest in the eyes of God. This is is a really powerful text. So let's just go ahead and jump in verse by verse, and let's just jump in with verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. The religious leaders of the day were the professional interpreters of the law. They would take the Bible and they would explain it to the people. It says here that they would sit on Moses' seat, which could be a literal chair at the front of the synagogue. Remember, you, uh, maybe some of you have grown up in liturgical churches where the pastor would sit up front during the whole service. So maybe it was a literal chair in the front of a synagogue. Or maybe it was a figurative chair. Uh, maybe some of you who teach at... Um, university over here having an official chair where you teach with authority. You've been endowed with a certain type of recognition. Maybe it's just a, a figurative chair here. Moses' seat to say that these leaders teach in line in succession of Moses with his authority and the way that he interprets the law. And so Jesus tells them this. Listen to what they say. Listen to what they teach you. As long as they're teaching you in line with the word of God, listen to the teachers, but do not imitate their life. For he says, for they preach, but do not practice. They're all talk. To me, there'll be no greater insult for someone to say, you are all talk, but no action. And Jesus is not just insulting a common person. He's insulting the religious leaders of Israel. You guys are all talk. You're talking, talking, talking. But there's, there's no action. Just imagine if Jesus was the greeter at our church this morning. He was standing out front and he was passing out bulletins. And as he's passing out a bulletin to you, he says, now I want you to listen to what that preacher tells you. And if you're up for it, you can even take notes on the back of your bulletin. Listen to what he tells you from the word. But do not, I repeat, do not imitate his life. That'd be terrible. Three weeks ago, I spoke to this, this older woman who was amazing. It was just this, this encounter we had three weeks ago to from today. We were, we were at this church, and long story, but she was telling me about how her husband at the time used to be a preacher. And he was a preacher who did not practice what he preached. And she was just pouring out her heart to me. And, and, I, uh, I, I, and after she told me her story, I said, look, I emailed her, I said, I'm talking about this in about three weeks. I do not need to tell your story at all, but can I have your permission to share? She said, yeah, definitely share with the congregation. So what I'm going to tell you, I'm not just blabbing. She told me to share, I could share. So her husband was in a church twice this size, and it was a real success story. It was a church that was small, and it, sh- it just boomed, because the, that, that guy could preach. He he just had a way with people. He had a way with preaching. And people were engaged with his preaching. But over a a certain amount of years, it eventually came out that he was, he committed adultery. And after some counseling uh, with his wife, decided that he was going to leave his wife and marry this other woman. And he's still in the ministry. And now he's pastoring another large church. And as I was talking to her, I was asking about her children. Like, how does this affect your kids when their pastor dad commits adultery? And of course, he's still preaching. And this is what one of her children said. She told me that. She said, one of her kids said, People don't care how the pastor acts, all they want is a good sermon. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? Is that what you want? You just want good sermons? You don't care how the pastor acts? Does that sound like something Jesus would say? No. Jesus is going right in the face of these leaders. And this brings me to destructive pattern number one. Let me put this up for you. Destructive pattern number one. Inconsistency. That is a destructive pattern where these leaders are doing a lot of talking, but there's not a lot of walking. Their words do not match up with their actions, and they are hypocrites. Because what's Jesus looking for in leaders? Whether you're a parent, whether you were leading at your school, what is he looking for in leaders? He's looking for integrity. He's looking for people who actually teach it truthfully, believe it, and do it. He wants integrity. And so I I was talking to this woman further, and I said, Look, and this is a question I always wonder, because, you know, pastors commit adultery all the time, and I'm not sitting up here saying that I'm some awesome guy. Be careful lest you fall, okay? I'm not saying that at all. But I said, What's going on? And I asked the million dollar question I always want to know in these adultery situations. I asked her, I said, Look, was there a pattern? Sometimes we think pastors just commit adultery. He's like, Bam, he just committed adultery. Where did that come from? I said, Was there a pattern? She said, absolutely. It was going on for years. He's preaching great sermons and living a life of immorality. And there was this pattern that was developing. It's like scaring me to death hearing these stories. And I I think about the patterns in my life and the the patterns in your life. And so I want to ask you this question. I want you to be totally honest. Please be honest with me. And the question I want to ask you is this. The person I see right now is that who we get in private? Is the public you the private you? Like if I went and asked your parents, I said, boy, your son's a great leader on campus telling people about Jesus. And and your your dad may say, yeah, but he's one big jerk at home. Is the public you the private you? I mean, this is great if you have kids. Like I want to go up, I'm going to talk to your kids after service and just ask them, daddy's really nice at church, how's he at home? Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Is, is that you? Like, who, who am I getting? Is, is this the real person? Is, is, this, is the consistency? Is there an integrity? It, no? But let's be honest. We're all inconsistent, right? We all say things that we believe. And there's so many times that we don't live up to this. I think we need to have this little confessional here. We're all inconsistent. I'm talking about being a servant today. I guarantee you this week I'm going to blow it in private, being a servant. So if Jesus calls the leaders out for being inconsistent, and we realize that we are inconsistent, so what's the difference between us and the leaders? Well, I think it's this. I think we simply acknowledge our sin Repent, and we want to be consistent and here 's the thing we do: we look in faith to c- the consistent one, Jesus. Jesus was always consistent, he taught the word accurately he lived the word, and right now in our in in heaven he is our consistency before the Father. Does that make any sense? He is our righteousness before the Father. He's our consistency. He is the one where the Father can say, I accept my children down there through the consistent one, Jesus Christ, who always obeyed the laws, taught it, obeyed it, Perfectly in our place. So we repent of our inconsistencies, repent of our sins, and we put our faith in the righteous, consistent one who died on the cross for us, was buried and rose again, now reigns in heaven as our consistent righteousness. But it doesn't mean we don't call out inconsistencies in our life now. It means that we have the freedom under the love of God because he loves us. And I say, okay. Let's start dealing with those areas in my life right now that don't match up. And as you start off the new year, I would pray one thing for you is that you would start to deal with those areas in your life that do not match up from what you say and what you do. And you know what I'm talking about. It's different for each of you. But don't you just get sick and tired of talking after a while? Talking, 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 and not doing. It's time during this new year, we're starting off fresh to deal with the inconsistencies, and we have the power and the grace to do that in the consistent one, Jesus Christ. We do not want to be like these leaders. We do not want to be these hypocrites. We want to start dealing with these things in our lives. Well, these leaders, it gets even worse for them. It's like I almost don't want to go on because they just kind of pile it on. Not only are they inconsistent, but they expect their followers to be consistent. Look what they do. Verse 4. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Hmm, that's interesting. So it's like this yoke on an ox, unlike Jesus' light Yoke. They have this heavy burdens where they would place them on the people's shoulders. You see what these leaders would do? They would take the word of God and then they would add additional laws to the word of God to make sure that you did not break the word of God. So they compounded all these laws, and they would put them on people's shoulders and weigh them down, but not give them any practical advice, not tell them how to keep the word, not show them how to do it, and not even set an example. They would just take the word, throw it on them, and they compile all these other laws on top of them, and they would weigh the people down. And to make matters worse, they would act like that they kept it. They would act like that they were the ones, the only ones who were keeping these great commandments and then they would show off how holy and righteous they were. Look at verse 5. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. So their motive in their religious service was the praise of others. This brings us to destructive pattern number two. Attention seeking. Not only are they inconsistent, but they are consistently seeking attention for themselves. They want to bring praise not to the Lord alone. They want to bring praise and glory to themselves and how spiritual they are. And Jesus warned against this in, in Matthew 6.1 one. Jesus said this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. But they didn't listen to that. They wanted to practice their deeds of righteousness before others. And and let me show you how they did this. Look at verse 5. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Well, what's a phylactery? I don't see... None of you have one on. It's amazing. Well, let me put a picture up for you. These were boxes that were worn on the foreheads and on the left arms, which contain uh, scripture in the literal fulfillment of Deuteronomy 6.8 and 11.18. Apparently, some of the leaders during Jesus' time, boy, they, they had some really big boxes on their head <laughs> and on their arm. It's like... Some holy bling, you know. <laughs> They're like really trying to show off on how holy they were. And not only did they have these flag trees, but they had these fringes. Now you you've seen these fringes. Uh, I live in Skokie, okay? Like. There's, there's, there's Jews all over the place, and, and they have these fringes, which talks about in, in Numbers 15:38 and Deuteronomy 22:12, where they would, they, they, they're supposed to touch the fringes, and it's to remind them of the word of God. But these holy people here, these leaders, would have these super long fringes. So they the, the big honking box, the box, the fringes. I mean, they are just decked out, decked out, so they can just show off. And it's not that Jesus was against these phylacteries and fringes, but man, they are just, they're just going over the top because they want all the attention placed upon themselves for you to know that they were holy people. Well, look what else they do. They love honor. Look at verse the rest of 6. And they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues, they want to be up front. They they want to be near the host at the the banquet. You know, when you're near the host, it just shows you that you have some good relationship with them. They want to be as close as they can to the host. They want to sit up front in the synagogue, the closest they closer they can get up front, and the more honored. That they can feel and people can praise them. And, and verse 7 says, and they love greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. They felt prideful in being called rabbi, which means master or great one. And, and so all their motivation in their religious actions, their motivation in their leadership was to receive praise from other people. But God calls us not to be motivated by our glory and our praise, but to be motivated by his glory and his praise. Look what Jesus says in verse 8. But you are not to be called a rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor. The Christ. This is interesting because there are instances in the New Testament where Christians are called teachers, fathers, scribes, overseers, elders, deacons, a lot of titles, and it's not wrong. You see that, right? You see that in the New Testament. Even the Apostle Paul called, said to the Corinthians that he was their spiritual father. So we, we see Christians being called these titles, and yet Jesus says, don't be called these titles. Well, what's he getting at here? Well, it has to do with the context. And the context is specifically of one of bringing attention, honor, and glory to yourself. That Jesus says that they are to shun these titles because they're brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters. They have one Messiah, one Christ, one teacher, and, and that is Jesus. They have one Father who is in heaven. And so they're not to seek titles that throw themselves up and draw attention to themselves. So we're to be motivated as leaders for God's glory and not our own. Let me show you a, a picture of a book I was looking through over the break. It's some letters of Jack Miller. It's called The Heart of a Servant Leader. It's a very interesting book because what it is, it's a book that takes letters that this guy wrote as a mentor to the people he was mentoring. In our congregation right now, we have mentors who are older, wiser men and women. And what this guy would do, he would write letters to those he was mentoring. And as he would encourage these younger people, one of the things he wanted to make sure that he encouraged them is that they understood that they are to lead for the glory of God, not their own praise. This is so key because I I look out and and I know a lot of you are leaders on campus. You're leaders in your business. A lot of the younger leaders in here who are in school who are planning on leading even greater enterprises in the future. And, and And it's very important that you get this one right now. It's like you start to understand this now. What does it mean to give glory to God now and not to yourself? So this Jack Miller guy... He, he, he can write out of experience. So there was a time in his life where he was really frustrated. He had two jobs, but he was so frustrated because in his jobs, he, he felt like he wasn't successful. You ever feel that way in your job? He felt like he wasn't successful and he felt like he wasn't impacting anybody. And so what do you do when you have two jobs and you feel unsuccessful? That's right, you quit. And so he just quit both of his jobs. For the next several weeks, he was totally and completely depressed and he was he was angry. He was angry because people were not acknowledging him as being successful or acknowledging him as impacting their lives. And so he was really frustrated. But God gave him this huge revelation that he was just simply living for his own glory and not for the glory of God. He was doing everything he was doing for the praise of himself and not for the praise of Jesus. And so he repented, got both of his jobs back, thankfully, and then changed his perspective. And then he started living a life where what he did in his jobs, and as he mentored others, he encouraged them to do it for the glory of God alone. So I'm going to put this, this question up for you, and I want you to think about this. Like, what is your true motivation? Is it God's glory, or is it self-interest? Now, you've got to get this right now. You have to understand this now, because... Uh, many of you are developing your leadership plans and your goals in life and if you don't get this one now, it is going to bite you later. It's going to get you later. It will. I wonder if they teach a class on this at at school. They should because this is going to get you later. If you are living your life for success and the praise of others, when you fail, it is going to bury you. You're going to be so buried. You're going to be so depressed. But... If you're building your job, your career, your leadership for the glory of God, and something goes wrong, it's okay. You're you're living for him. It's okay to fail. It's okay to step out in faith and take risks. If you fail, God, I totally trust you. And when you have success in these areas, God, I totally praise you. You get all the glory. When you change your motive from building up and bringing praise to yourself by seeking to bring praise to God, it will free you to operate as a leader without the approval of others, without having to have success. There is freedom that Jesus is offering here when we're putting the attention and the glory completely on him. So I'm hoping you see as we're going through this passage that Jesus is offering a different way of leadership for his disciples. He doesn't want them to be seeking glory for themselves. He wants them to operate with integrity. And if you could kind of just sum all this up, it would be in the word servanthood. He wants his leaders to be servants. So let's finish up the passage here. Verse 11. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Let's stop. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Have you ever ever wondered... How can you lead and be a servant at the same time? Like, when you lead, aren't you supposed to know where you're going? Don't you supposed to have some type of confidence that that's the direction you want to go and you're supposed to somehow convince and persuade others to follow you in that direction? And so, how can you be a leader and at the same time serve the people you're leading? without getting arrogant, without lording it over them? Do you you feel that tension? How do you do that? And so I I thought, well, maybe I can give you some tips and some tricks in your life where you can learn how to lead and be a servant at the same time. But I'm not here to give you tips and tricks. How about I just give you the greatest, I guess you could say, example ever? And I'm not even going to expound on it, but just simply read you the story of the greatest one ever who led And he was an example. And he was a powerful servant. Let me read this to you. It's in John, chapter 13. Right before Jesus was killed. Starting in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Then in verse 14, and he says this to them, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. I think the way to be great and the way to be a great leader, whether you like it or not, is to develop a pattern of foot washing. I don't know if you've thought about that before. That seems kind of like menial service, but if our Lord and Savior Jesus has done this, we can do it right. But to develop this pattern of foot washing in your leadership, whether you're leading your spouse, your kids, Small group, ethos community, Bible study, one-on-one. How can you wash the other person's feet? How can you serve them? One of the things we talk about in our house with our kids is we try to give them grand visions of what they can do for the Lord later in life. How they can go and lead these great things and great ventures all around the world for Jesus. I mean, we come up with some... Wild plans that my kids can do, even though they're really young right now. But I tell them, look, being great is not just your future. You can be great right now in this house right now by being a servant, by serving your brothers, your sisters, your mom, your dad. And for most of you, as you're going to be these great future servant leaders, That starts right now by serving those around you. Don't think you're going to be this great foot-washing CEO if you're not a a foot-washing student right now. It's not going to just be turned on later. You develop patterns that take you certain places later in life. If you drop those patterns way back then, you're not going to all of a sudden be recognized as this great servant leader. Let's finish with the last verse. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Does that remind you of anybody? Any verses come to your mind? Can you think about Jesus? He's at the the throne. He's in heaven, right? He, He humbles himself to become a man. And then he dies death, death on the cross for our sins. And then he's buried. And what happens? He's, he raises back again and now he's exalted to the highest place. I mean that, that verse is so true of Jesus. He humbled himself and he was exalted. And I think we could say the saying could be applied to us as we humble ourselves, broken under God, humble ourselves under God, that we will also be exalted in his eyes. The world may not acknowledge your foot washing. The world may not acknowledge you as a servant leader, but in the eyes of the Father you are accepted, you are loved through Jesus as we humble ourselves under him. But there's also something that does happen from time to time that those who humble themselves on this earth, God and his providence, and as he reaches into history, there are times that God exalts those in the sense of giving them greater responsibility on this earth, giving them greater leadership uh, capacities and abilities on this earth because he has seen them have a pattern of humility that he exalts them in a sense of giving them greater responsibility to serve others. There is this quote from J. Oswald Sanders in his book Spiritual Leadership. I want to show you this. It says, The spiritual leader of today is in all probability one who yesterday expressed his humility by working gladly and faithfully in the second place. Too many times when we look at leaders that are great servant leaders, we automatically think that they've been doing that since they were 22 years old, that automatically they're exalted to this great position. But that's not the case. My experience in, in interacting with people is that everybody wants to be the head leader No one really wants to be the one in second place, the one who's playing the more behind-the-scenes role. But you know it's often that service in the -the behind-the-scenes role that gives you a heart of service when you're put more out in the lead. So when you develop this pattern of serving in the small behind-the-scenes role that no one sees, it helps you develop this great heart that one day when you're leading in a greater capacity, you're still serving others and washing their feet. I think about, I'm telling you this, about our church planner, Jeremiah Vought. We're planning a church right now in Rogers Park, and our leader is Jeremiah. And um, most of you probably don't know him. He's, if you do see him, he's a guy from North Carolina, and he has a serious accent, and you're wondering why he's in Rogers Park. But tell you, he is a great fit for Rogers Park, because Jeremiah is a servant leader. But we didn't automatically just put him there. He developed in becoming more and more of a servant leader right here in this church over years. He developed a heart for people more and more. And you see it in the pattern of his life and serving other people. And now, as he's our church planner and leader, I get to go and watch him serve and love people in Rogers Park, where he couldn't have done that unless he was doing it here first. And so I I go with him out on the streets and I watch him share the love of Jesus with others. And and Jeremiah, it's, it's great. He'll talk to professionals, but he'll also talk to prostitutes. He'll talk to the hipsters. And then he'll next thing he'll be talking to the homeless. He'll be talking to these people just techies. But then it's wonderful to watch him talk to teenagers. All these teenagers come by and and Jeremiah turns into like this 15-year-old and he just starts loving them and serving them with the gospel. And what's so awesome, it's the pattern that we saw developed here. We met him seven years ago. We never thought, there's our future church planner. There's our leader. He developed those patterns of service and love here and now God's put him in a place of leadership, of greater capacity. And I want to say, it is these patterns in your life that develop who you are, They develop your character. As God's grace in your life, as I see these patterns in you, it develops over time in creating this, this great man and woman of God who leads others. And so as we start out this new year, I think it is time to kind of reevaluate and look at the patterns in your life. It's the consistent things that you do in your life right now, is it going to, in a sense, put you where you need to be five years from now, ten years from now? When we talk about developing leaders and we talk about developing those who are godly men and women, are the patterns in your life that you are establishing now going to put you where you want to be ten years from now? Or are you doing whatever right now, you're not intentional about everything, and ten years from now, you're going to wonder, why am I not growing why am I still as immature as I was way back then? That's why you've got to develop these patterns now. And, there, and there's so many things we can develop, right? There's so many areas we could touch on and, and start to learn more and more how to be a servant. So we're, it's like, did you ever get to a point where you go, I am such a mess, where do I even start? You ever done that before? I am a mess. I should go to counseling for the next 500 years because I am a mess. So let's not deal with all that stuff right now. Let's just simplify things and go with what we've talked about in our text today. Let's start with developing a pattern of reading the Bible and doing it. The number one thing that it seems like they're, they're kind of criticized for here is that they teach it, but they don't do it. So let's start by hitting that pattern head on. Let's develop a pattern in the new year where we read the Bible and we do it. Are we all in agreement? Yeah? That's not a good idea, huh? That is a good idea. We want to read it and do it. And so I was thinking, okay, how can I help you develop that pattern? How can I help you? You know, this is the time of year where everybody starts Bible reading plans. How many of you ever done the through the year, in Bible reading plan, like in one year, read the Bible in a year. How many of you got stuck in Leviticus? Yeah. Yeah, if you lost yourself in Leviticus. It's like, you didn't go. And so, and I'm thinking, man, a year seems long. If you can do a year, good job. And, and then, then I've heard them say, people have said, if you do anything from 30 days, then you can for sure do it as a pattern. But 30 days seems really long too, right? I want to give you something you can actually do. I've been told that uh, my professor in seminary always said, if you set the bar low enough, you'll always get over it each time, right? So if you set your goals low enough, you'll make them every time. So let's set our goals really low so we can start some patterns here. And I thought, okay, let's do a Bible reading plan through the book of James. Really short. I think we can handle it. And let's do it for 20 days. You can do anything for 20 days, right? And, and so, I want you—if you got a bulletin, pull it out. I'm going to show you how this is going to be awesome: 20-day Bible reading plan, where you can actually read the Bible and then do it. This is in your bulletin, by the way. So, I'm going to show you how to do this. Okay? I know it's real complicated, but I'm going to show you. So. So you got your plan. Turn to the book of James. If you don't know where James is at, you can find it later. Alright, I'll just read it to you. So right now I'm gonna show you. Day one. It's a really long passage. James 1-1. Alright? The bar's real low. Come on, guys. You can get over it. James 1-1 is the first day. Okay, this is the way it's gonna work, alright? So I'm going to read, you sit down with the Lord, maybe in the morning, at night, somewhere where you're alone, during lunchtime, and you read the passage. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. And so you you work through these questions. It says, what does the text say in its original context? Read it slowly, realizing it's God's word. Don't read it like the newspaper, okay? So you look at this and you go, okay, James is writing as a servant of God, and you, you, go, what, you don't know what the 12 tribes and the dispersion are, and it, when you come across things in the Bible you don't know what they are, just get a study Bible, okay? Get a study Bible. The notes will explain it to you. It's just scattered Christians. So just try to understand what it says in the original context. Then you move on to the second question. What is God speaking into my life as I read this text? ruminate on the text and ponder what God is saying. So look at the text again. James, a servant of God. Huh, what does servant mean? If you look at the footnote, it says bondservant or slave. Huh, that's interesting. God is saying to me something significant about being his servant. And then question three is, what do I want to say to God? Tell God in prayer about a word or phrase from the text that is striking you. Well, how about the word servant? God, I want to be your servant. I want to be your slave. I want to be the slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then what difference will this text make in my life? Like, how will my life be different now that I've encountered God and his word? Well, Lord, I'm your slave now. I'm your servant. That means whatever you say in this book of James, I'm going to do by your grace, by your mercy. It's going to make a difference. So guess what? You have 19 more days to go. You just did the first day. It's awesome. You're on a great start. Right. So it's a, it's, it's a great way to say, okay, I'm going to develop patterns in my life of reading the Word and doing it. And when James is over in 20 days, keep those questions with you and pick another book and do it all over again. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace and your love. So many times we get stuck in patterns of sin, we get stuck in patterns of distraction, we get stuck in patterns of just foolishness, and as we're starting out the new year, many of us are fresh, we, we have a lot of energy right now, and I just ask well, that you would help us to direct those energies towards you, hearing from you in your word, obeying you in your word, walking in your ways, and just developing this pattern of a relationship with you where we really are walking close with you and wanting to enjoy you in this life you've called us to of of washing feet. You've washed our feet by laying down your life on the cross and rising again. And, Lord, we just ask that you give us the ability to wash the feet of others and to serve them, not for our glory, not for our praise, but for your glory and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.